Welcome to the Selfful Podcast with your host, Georgia Holiday. My mission here on this podcast is to help you go from stress and self-doubt to sass and self-love. I truly believe the most important relationship we will ever have is the one with ourselves. So we're talking everything relating back to the self, aka you. I'm talking self-care, self-worth, self-awareness, self-confidence, and so much more. So grab a cuppa, get comfy, and let's get straight to it. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the podcast. Today I am joined by an incredible human being that I am so excited to share our conversation that we had with you. Today I'm joined by Charlotte Braithwaite, who is a visionary coach, experienced psychotherapist and a leadership catalyst for evolutionary change. She works with individuals, couples and leaders to help them connect to their conscious self in life, in love and in leadership. She is a specialist in the field of transforming inner wounding into conscious wisdom and has supported hundreds of clients, including a number of influencers and sports and TV personalities. I am so incredibly excited for you to all hear this conversation that I had with Charlotte. It is incredibly insightful, so much wisdom that she has to share with you. So let's just get straight into the episode. Hello, Charlotte, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking this time to come on and chat with us. I know this is going to be such an incredible, juicy, value-packed episode, and I'm so, so excited to get stuck in. How are you? I am, I'm doing all right. <laughs> I was about to jump in and say, yeah, I'm fine. Um, but that's that's such a, um, a bad habit, isn't it? And I think 2020 yeah. has definitely been the year where we are learning not to say, I'm fine. Um, so thank you for asking. And thank you so much for, for inviting me on. I'm, I feel really privileged to be able to come and contribute to this wider conversation. Um, and also to be asked how I'm doing, because normally I'm the one asking that. So that's that's really lovely to be asked. Oh, that's, that's such a good point, actually. Like, before we even get into anything, it's such a good point. And I think everyone's a lot more mindful of how they answer that question now, because probably this year a lot of us maybe aren't actually fine and we're kind of being more aware of how we are like replying to that really simple kind of question that we usually just kind of brush off like yeah good you so yeah I love that amazing yeah no you're absolutely right I think it it is it's it's kind of become something that we we say but don't really hear or kind of we ask as a um it's become the new talking about the weather right yes <laughs> so, so so we've kind of le- learned that talking about the weather what that really means now but actually um I think yeah asking how asking how we are feeling as opposed to how we are doing is something that I'm really trying to promote because we're so mm-hmm. used to saying how are you doing and it's a very activity-based word so we tend to respond with oh yeah I've been doing this and I've been doing that whereas how how are you feeling um is a little bit more it, it acknowledges us in our humanity as opposed to, you know, we, we're human beings and we've sort of become human doings. So, mm. yes, I think it's it's great to advocate um, 
obviously I'm in the business of feelings in general. So, yeah. so um, it's great to use that language. I I love that. I love, I'm going to do that as well. Ask people how they're feeling rather than how they're doing. Because I definitely do that. Thinking about it, I'm like, how are you doing? But yeah, oh my God, I love that so much. Amazing. <laughs> wow, we haven't even started. And we've already, already got all this. Okay, amazing. So... I would love it if you would tell us a bit about yourself, your story, and your personal growth journey to where you are now. Sure. So, um, I am as <laughs> there's there's me saying about doing and being, but my my doing what I do is so I'm a psychotherapist and coach, um, and really my journey to to what I do now was from sitting in the other chair. So sitting in the client chair, I um. Actually, this might be quite a good fact for your listeners to, to know, to kind of humanise um, sort of the therapeutic professionals in general. Um, usually, it's around 70% of therapists or coaches go into the work that they do because they've either sought mental health support or they've sought coaching for themselves. And I think that that's, that's really important because quite often I think there is obviously a stigma around kind of mental health and seeking support but um for me I think one of the things that was was really key was that because I'd had such a great experience that really inspired me to be able to support others so I guess my kind of telling you a bit about my story I should really kind of start where I sought support so I was in my early 20s um I had had a series of pretty pretty shitty relationships um to put it crudely but was very much caught up in the kind of I'll be happy when syndrome so that you know when I've got this when I get there when I'm engaged when I'm married when I have kids when I have the the house with the white picket fence and the dog um I was very very much chasing happiness as opposed to kind of being happy in myself and it wasn't until I was actually engaged and I and I had my own house, I didn't have children, but I sort of had this, I guess, existential crisis of, well, I've got the things that I thought would make me happy and actually um, I'm not. And it then sort of forced me to really confront some of the quite painful things that I'd experienced in previous relationships. Um, and I, I pretty much had a breakdown. I mean, Brené Brown who I'm a total fangirl of, Brené Brown would call it a spiritual awakening. And I'm very much on board with that definition. <laughs> um, but it was really through kind of experiencing that that breakdown that um, propelled me to, to seek support. I was quite resistant, if I'm really honest. Um, I didn't really feel comfortable talking to anybody, but I was I was fairly desperate. So I, I found myself... Um, kind of getting dragged like a dog to the vets <laughs> um, to a particular counsellor who had come recommended and uh, very resistant but desperate and um and I stayed in therapy for, th- for three years and I really I really did a lot of deep dive work and it wholeheartedly changed how I thought of myself how I viewed my history why I'd made certain decisions that I'd never really understood why I'd made those choices. Um, why did I behave certain ways around certain people, you know, from all ends of, from kind of more, more extreme cases to just subtle things like, why did I say yes to that when actually I wanted to say no? And so I kind of had this 
enlightening journey and, and suddenly thought, this is really what I want to do. I want to help people become conscious of who they really are as opposed to their conditioning or their wounding. And so I, I pretty much answered my therapist at the time, you know, how, how do I do what you do? And went from there. Um, and I studied part time. I had a marketing job before and um, I worked full time, studied part time. And I um, got my, I sort of did four years, I graduated. Then I decided I wanted to kind of change the type of therapy that I offered. Um, I wanted to diversify into coaching as well. And I just continued the journey. And to be honest, I've become a bit of a studyholic, if that's even a word. <laughs> I, I really love studying. I'm kind of overwriting dissertations and essays now, but I love learning and I love those those light bulb moments as much for myself as for my clients um and that's kind of where I'm at now so I'm I'm therapist coach ever evolving but that was sort of the journey which is it's not a pretty journey by any means but it, it's a very real journey and I think that's what really makes me love the work that I do because I, I know it and I've I've been there wow amazing I love that so so much and I love what you, that statistic you gave us about, was it 70% of therapists and coaches start off like on the other side? So like as the person going to therapy or seeking a coach? Yeah, I mean, like, that's definitely more, that's more in support of, um, I think that's more of a mental health um, statistic, sorry. Um, but it's definitely applicable for coaches. But I think that's because most of the time people, people seek support and then think this is great. More people should know about this. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, personally, that's how I got into what I do, because I went through that journey, that growth, that transformation, like you said, having that breakdown, that dark night of the soul, and then being like, okay, I'm on the other side now. I have to help other people do this. Like, I need to help other people do this. I want to help them, you know, move through the horrible things that I have been through, because I have experience in it. And I know that I can help them. But I, I love that. That's that is so true. Thinking about it now, I'm like, actually, yeah, that makes total sense. Because like you say, you have this incredible experience in this, you know, whether it's a spiritual awakening or whatever it feels, a massive evolution. And you just want to help other people learn that and do the same as well. And what you said about the breakdown thing is so, so true. I think that goes for everyone that starts on this journey of whatever kind of caliber it is, whether it's a spiritual journey or personal development journey, whatever it is, it all starts with us essentially like breaking down or being tired of our own shit or whatever it is but breakdowns always lead to breakthroughs in my experience so I love that you said about that so so much and I was definitely the same as you as well in the sense that you said about you felt this kind of like resistance to get help which is like mad for me to say because now I'm such an advocate for like if you need help ask for help like don't suffer in silence but I very much wasn't at the beginning of my journey because I was, I mean, I don't know, there was so much obviously behind it with the beliefs that I had, but I wanted to do everything on my own. I felt like I had to do everything on my own. And there's, you know, so many beliefs that kind of made, led me to think this, but you don't have to do anything on your own. Like you don't have to go through the hard things on your own. And it was only through getting help from other people, which I now luckily, and, you know, I'm very grateful that I get to do as well. I was able to like transform my life and have that breakthrough so I love that you 
said that I think I don't think a lot of people you know would necessarily talk about that the fact that there is a resistance sometimes when we start or go into something like this yeah and you know it's it's scary you know (laughs) I think one of the things we as human beings we we really find very seductive and really want is is certainty and to feel like we're right even if even if that means that we stay with what is uncomfortable just because it's familiar like I'd rather stay in something that I feel like I know what to expect than to venture out into the unknown that then brings uncertainty and it's completely counterintuitive and counterproductive but we are you know creatures of comfort quite literally sometimes that doesn't even mean that we are comfortable but we just feel like well, at least if I'm just, you know, me on my island and I look after me and I don't rely upon anybody else, I feel like I'm in control of what happens in my life. Absolutely. But then that control is just an illusion anyway, because uh, well, yeah. we can only control ourselves, right? Yeah. And you know what? I think I think 2020, not to keep coming back to the pandemic, <laughs> but, but 2020, <laughs> I mean, it, it's massively burst our bubble that we are we know what's going to happen in the future and we are in control of everything and even even down to in 2019 you book a holiday for 2020 with the assumption it will happen right and then nobody nobody could nobody predicted this and so actually for the whole of pretty much this year whilst in, in kind of on one level yes it is a health crisis but for me this is and for my clients certainly this is presenting as a huge existential crisis where people are being thrown off of the kind of wake up go to work eat dinner go to bed party at the weekend kind of routine paradigm and we're really being forced to be still to not really do a lot not get not busy ourselves and that's really evoking some huge questions about you know what's the point or am I what am I doing is it a value is it a purpose does it mean anything what brings me meaning what am I you know who who are my real friendships you know there's so there's so much that's coming up this year and I think um certainly seeking support it's never it's never just about the thing you think it is it's always the thing that you don't think it is does that make sense (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And something that I've been saying, you know, quite a lot, and I was talking to a friend about this earlier, I think the word for everyone this year has been like surrender, like surrendering control, surrendering the, you know, what we thought was or certain beliefs, and just like completely having to rebuild from the ground up with what we think about the world, what we think about ourselves, you know, what we think about this concept of control and everything else as well that, you know, like the socio-political movements that have been going on this year as well. There's just so much change in such a condensed period of time. It's hardly surprising that so many people are having these kind of like existential crises. Yeah, completely. And I think the, the thing that's also really important and maybe this will this will kind of lead us nicely when when you said before about um wounding to wisdom because when when we are on in danger which which essentially we have been like there there is a virus the the problem is is that our our brain is hardwired um to protect us when we're in danger via sort of 
four four different mechanisms. One is fight, one is flight, one is freeze, and one is flop. And what's been really tricky in in this situation is that our bodies naturally get engaged, to, you know, to respond to the threat, but we can't fight this thing we can't see it we can't wrestle with it we can't run away from it so we can't fly to either we we kind of forced into a lockdown which in itself was kind of a freeze response but in our freeze response like we can't we can't really distract ourselves and so for for many people and certainly those of my clients and those that I've been kind of speaking to when we get still and we're not able to distract ourselves with work or with drinking with friends or you know just going to the gym incessantly or whatever it whatever our our numbing agent is right we get still and then all the stuff from the past all the stuff that is like unhealed wounds start to bubble to the surface and it's Mm. like oh shit I've been trying to spend my entire life avoiding this and now I can't and that's really really challenging for people and and yet is absolutely nece- like it's necessary to come to the surface to be to be healed it's you know you have to feel it to heal it is kind of my 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 mind. yeah 100% I love that it's so so true and I think I always say to my clients you know you can put off that thing that you're trying to avoid and push down but it will come up at some point yes like it will it's like you know some of the times I say with my clients do you remember the game whack-a-mole yes you know it's like the little game and you have to like whack the mole and it pops up somewhere else this is the same with our wounding like we push it down it pops up somewhere else and we can spend our entire life like trying to like knock it on the head and push it down push it down push it down it will it will keep coming up until you deal with it and it's so exhausting even more exhausting in the long term just to keep whacking that mole like go 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 then actually, like you said this year, for a lot of people, it's been about the surrender of, okay, like I can't control whether where it pops up, but when it's here, I have to deal with it. Love that. So, so true. Amazing. Um, I love that comparison with the whack-a-mole. That is so true. So true. Uh, so I would love for you to explain to the listeners what it means when we talk about our inner child and our inner child wounds sure so this is this is a big one that I genuinely wholeheartedly believe this should this should be on the school curriculum like we we should be taught this so our inner child um from a kind of a a a neuroscience side of things just to kind of ground it out from from the ages of kind of naught to seven around that sort of age is when we really do kind of absorb everything into the templates and the beliefs for which we then carry into the rest of our lives if we if we kind of don't do the self-work that become kind of our default programming Mm. and in part of that it's um it might be um primarily absorbed by our primary sort of caregivers whether that be our mum or dad or grandma or whoever's kind of in our life quite intensely and then also kind of how um when you think about the sort of first system that we enter is more more likely to be the educational system and then how we kind of navigate peers and friendships and all that duty stuff and we can think of our inner child as kind of the internalized um beliefs 
and um, thoughts and kind of like the blueprint that we then take into the world. And it's also the most primal part of us that is preoccupied with love, safety and belonging. So it's as a child, if we, if let's just, okay, I'm going to go all existential again. So brace, brace yourself. I love it. Go let, let's take a moment. Depending on what you believe, granted, we put that aside, but you just rocked up in the world. You didn't choose your family. You didn't say, oh, yeah, I like the look of that one. Okay, off we go. I'll, I'll go with that one. I think I'll, I think I'll fit well there. You just rock up in the world to these people who kind of didn't really choose you either. They have all their story that's connected to their person's story, story, stories. And, and we've got generations of stories that are all feeding into each other. And then we kind of rock up into the world. And from, from zero to probably around teens, early teens, we are entirely dependent upon these people, our family, for our survival. And so intrinsically, it is our number one job. This is entirely unconscious, by the way. But it is our number one job to try as best we can to fit in with the tribe that we've now been delivered into the world into because our survival fundamentally depends on it. Therefore, it becomes really important that we learn to adapt to whatever environment that we're put in. And this is kind of the job of our inner child. So we, we of course, we want to feel the approval of our parents because we're dependent on them for survival. Of course, we want to feel love and belonging because it's terrifying if we don't feel loved and we don't feel like we belong then you know our primal system thinks we'll get chucked out of the tribe and we won't survive because we wouldn't the issue is is that as we grow into adulthood that that default blueprint remains and it can govern so many of our behaviors it's like the inner child within us so you know whether you're 80 18 or ages in between we always have an, an inner child part of ourselves, And sometimes we may see people's inner child or see our own when someone like throws a tantrum or like they behave in a way and you think oh, that's really that's really childish. We kind of see how we might behave, but ultimately it's the part of us that kind of stays crystallized as this maybe kind of around the seven, eight, nine kind of mark. I mean, granted, we all have inner teenagers as well. We can all kind of be the petulant teenager, but it is that that part of us that remains vulnerable, that remains quite young, that's preoccupied with that love, safety and belonging that we spoke about and that projects different things on different situations that we may regress in our behaviours to the default ways in which we try to fit in and belong, usually with our family. Does, does that make sense on that part? Yeah. That makes total sense. And I think you've just explained that so, so well. And I think that's going to be so, so helpful for so many people. And, I, you know, what you were saying there about we essentially like we have these like survival and coping mechanisms as a child, like when we're young, that then kind of translate into when we are grown ups. And for me, that turned into being a people pleaser because I, you know, I was looking for as you were saying, like my parents love and their affection and this kind of thing. And for me, the way that I felt I got that because they were going through a divorce at the time, I was very young. For me, 
I realize very quickly, oh, if I am very, like, if I'm the good girl, if I'm always happy, if I'm, you know, being very diplomatic, how on earth I knew this at like four years old, I don't know, but it's, and I realized very quickly that, okay, if I'm a people pleaser, obviously I didn't know that term, but if I, you know, do all the right things, I'm the good girl, that's how I get love. Yes. And that, that, that is such an insight. And right there, you've, I mean, you've done it. You've just literally summed up how you have turned that inner child wounding into conscious wisdom. Because through the awareness of that, by simply being aware of that, you might open up into adulthood. You have a choice about your behavior as opposed to it being unconsciously driven by a wound in history. Hmm. Yeah, that's so true. I love that. The people pleaser is a huge one, especially in women. Um, you know, even just the language, you know, I know we're, we're becoming like hot on language now about, you know, how are you feeling? But also about, you know, being the good girl. Yeah. Or um, I think there is, I think there's also kind of a generational parenting of, I know I grew up with, and it was entirely unconscious. And, you know, um, my parents did the best they could. There's not really a textbook. There certainly isn't. And you know what? I think something else that's really important to just kind of name for all the parents out there is that you, even if you parented your child absolutely perfectly, you'd be ill-equipping your child for a very, very imperfect world. So it's that's not true. about perfection. We just want to be as conscious as possible. And so even like with the language, so often, you know, we get told to be, you know, be a good girl or be a good boy. Or on the other hand, say, let's say you're a child and you took the chocolate that you weren't meant to have. And you were asked, did you take the chocolate? And you said no, because you were scared of what would happen if you said yes. And then you get found out there is a huge difference between the language that we absorb as a child which is you're a liar or it's not okay to tell a lie. Mm. One instills enormous shame because that is who you are. You are a liar. And one instills a healthy guilt, which is the way you behaved isn't really in alignment with who you are. Yeah. And for our inner child, some of the greatest wounds are around this sense of inherent shame that we are bad if we're not good. So like the people pleaser, and and you're exactly right, Georgia, because at four years old, you didn't have the intellectual capacity to know what people pleasing was, or you just wanted to be a good girl so that it felt safe because then you'd be loved by mum and dad. And what you were going through as a child would have felt really unsafe because your whole Mm. world would have turned upside down. In the same way, in a very similar way, my thing wasn't so much people pleasing it was around being a perfectionist granted the two go hand in hand quite well yeah and so i had this belief that if i and i'll tell you i'll tell you where it comes from I'm, I'm happy to disclose this so i had um i was three and a half when my when my younger brother was born now again three and a half years old did not have the intellectual capacity to understand what this actually was but i kind of knew the sense i could i could figure the sense out And when my brother was born, I had this sort of realisation in my three and a half year old self and maybe a bit a bit older as well. I think it carried on to when I was about five. I remember feeling I remember having a very conscious thought about it when I was about five of if I had been 
the perfect child, they wouldn't have needed to have another one. Oh, wow. So it was like, because, because if you've got, if you've got a TV and it stops working, you buy a new one. So yeah. they must have got a new one because I stopped working. Oh, wow. And so actually the, the, the birth of my brother for my child self was actually quite traumatic because that fundamentally that was a wound and this is the thing that we I think gets misunderstood and I really want to shine a light on because when we talk about wounding we talk about trauma I think trauma is a big word but there is big t trauma which I think is what people project trauma to be which is I don't know the extremes neglect sexual abuse a traumatic car accident you know big 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 events but then there is little t trauma that these are these are the wounds right and it's little t trauma is my brother being born and me thinking that I, I wasn't perfect and therefore my my striving to be perfect in every single way that I could be granted you know I was still human I still screwed up and had tantrums on but it but I became almost like that I'll be happy when like that I'll be perfect when I have this that the other and so these are the small things that we can so easily dismiss or we think well I must have been really happy when my brother was born you know unless we do the conscious work we may not ever get there we may stay in this complex of of fighting for perfection that ultimately doesn't exist anyway and then feeling really shit that we haven't got to this sort of illusion of perfection that doesn't exist absolutely and I think probably so many people listening struggle with perfectionism and it's definitely something that I've you know had had a good go at in the past (laughs) but obviously like you said it's just completely unattainable it's not realistic it doesn't exist perfect does not exist in any shape or sense of the word it just does not exist and you know that's why I think it's so so insightful and thank you so much for sharing you know, that story and that experience of yours, because it can help people understand and maybe they can relate to that in something that maybe happened in their childhood or some kind of some form of trauma they've experienced that actually they can connect the dots and be like, ah, okay, maybe that's why I'm always trying to be 100% perfect all the time to try and make up for this or that or anything. So that is so, so insightful. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I think it's, these are the things that, um, like those little, little T traumas that, it might be of, I don't know, you're, you're growing up, you're, um, there, was a, there was a lot of illness in the family with a particular relative. And so mum's attention was directed towards that relative a lot and you, and you drew a sense of separation anxiety or felt a bit abandoned or even just down to, you know, you've done some artwork at school and you come home and you're so excited to show them, but parents are working really late and so... They don't get to see it and then they go oh no that's that's really good but you need to leave mummy alone now because I need to work and mum's doing the best she can yeah it still has an impact and we then spend the rest of our lives chasing for the approval of others look what I did look what I've achieved look what qualification I've got look how perfect everything is trying to heal a wound that ultimately we just kind of keep acting from without any awareness of Oh my God, I love it. So juicy. I love this so, so much. Amazing. So 
you spoke quite a lot about just then this kind of idea of intellectual capacity. Mm. I would love for you to talk about something slightly different, this idea of emotional fluency. So like, what does that mean? How can we bring an awareness to it? And how can we build our own emotional fluency? That's such a great question. And it's it's a, a term that I use because I think... Um, emotions one of the things that we we struggle to accept we fight it (laughs) is that emotions um are fluid because our brain operates in a very concrete way like we we like we like things to be this way or that way and so feelings kind of throw us off in that kind of um mental paradigm because feelings are ever evolving ever changing And emotional fluency for me is really about being able to feel our feelings, whatever it is we're feeling, because I don't know about you, but there's certainly there's certainly like good emotions and feelings. And I'm I'm using like two little um, apostrophe. (laughs) Yeah, I'm totally air quoting, even though you can't see me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's like good feelings and then there's bad feelings, which is total bollocks. There's just feelings. And then there's the meaning that we attach to those feelings. So good feelings might be happiness, elation, pleasure, celebration. Bad feelings might be shame, guilt, anger, sadness. And normally we tend to do better with the quote unquote good emotions because they feel um, nicer in our body. And I think that's also really important to highlight is feelings are our energies in our body. The, the word emotion, if you break it down, is energy in motion. Emotion. Oh, I love it. I always say that. I love it oh, so much. great. How in sync. Yeah, it's it's energy. And it's, are we able to hold and contain and feel the energy in which we're feeling? And emotional fluency is about being able to feel and tolerate and hold, you know, what what is the, the feeling that we're feeling? And also to know that it's fluid. It will move quite often when we're in the depths of despair it's like oh I'm gonna feel this way forever and just then we create this whole story that then we cling on to and it's not about just feeling a feeling it's about we've then got a whole narrative that we've got to deal with and so I think that quite often when we're talking about kind of wounding and the resistance to therapy I know for me was like I don't want to feel this shit any more than I have to like why would I want to sit in it? But the the irony is only when we feel it can it move and then move through or that we can go. And actually, there's a great study. I forget who it's by now, but there's a great study when they actually, you know, wire somebody up and they see what happens to the energy in their body, the feeling, the emotion, and that it takes 90 seconds to, to go through our body to like from the thought to the feeling. But it also takes 90 seconds to leave. Now, think about how much we we can basically create feelings perpetually. We could hold grudges for years. And that's we can we can hold on to anger for months, for days, for hours. Like, and we're doing that from our from our narrative in our mind, as opposed to allowing a feeling of, oh, yeah, I feel angry. OK, so I feel angry. Like that, and and we don't attach a narrative to it. Normally, it's well, I'm angry because of this, and then that person said this, and then either and we we get so lost in the story, rather than forgetting that the emotional fluency is actually being able to feel the fluidness 
of feelings and allow them to be here and they will pass. Mm. I love that so, so much. And yes, I've seen that study as well. I can't think what it's called, but when I found that out, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like it is, it's incredible that, you know, the idea that after 90 seconds, actually it might not be consciously because of, you know, all of our narratives and limiting beliefs, but we're choosing yeah. to continue feeling yeah. that way. Yes, we perpetuate it. Abs- absolutely. The the power of the mind-body connection is is something that I think is would be so beneficial for people to really understand. And, and the feelings are kind of like the bit in between. And normally it's then the the, the narrative we attach to a feeling that then becomes the issue. Um, and I mean, this sounds a bit crude, but nobody ever died of a feeling yeah like true and I think that we are so afraid to feel a feeling because of where we think it will take us because ultimately remember our most primal fear is that we will die and Mm. anything you know this is why we catastrophize I don't know if you find yourself ever catastrophizing where something you know someone doesn't pick up the phone and all of a sudden you're thinking well have they been in a car crash like I I definitely have in the past (laughs) yeah yeah and I think I think this is the thing so and that it's in a sense we're trying to predict something, to make something certain, to prepare ourselves for the feeling we think we're going to feel if it happens. But we actually create the feeling whilst trying to sort of protect ourselves. Yeah, in the process. Yeah, and I think that when you talk about kind of how do we build our emotional fluency, thing practices like meditation, practices like um, kind of mind body movement or just being able to learn to, to, to tolerate and move through feelings. Um, I often talk about patience with my clients. I think people think when we become patient, we must be like the Zen Buddhist master, kind of, <laughs> like, you know, sitting on top of a mountain looking totally serene. Patience is just the capacity to tolerate frustration. Yes, when, when, so when we allow patience just to come in and just a bit of grace a bit of patience of of kindness self-compassion of okay so I feel I feel this feeling there is nothing by the way you can do to not feel the feeling feelings are come you know they're cultivated and in our unconscious part of the brain that meaning we can't control it so when people say I shouldn't feel like this well number one you're putting yourself actually an expectation on yourself not to be human yeah like that's wow that's big when you think about it when people say I shouldn't feel like this and how often do we hear that or say that to ourselves you feel whatever it is you feel you actually have no control over when that pops up yes you can definitely perpetuate it but whatever comes up is whatever comes up are you constantly wishing you had more confidence Do you wish you knew how to set boundaries with people in your life so you don't spend another year saying yes to things and people you really want to say no to? Are you ready to create a life that actually belongs to you rather than always doing things to please others? Because newsflash, a life spent worrying what other people think of you is not your life at all. If you answered yes to any of those, then listen up. 
in February 2021, I am running my first ever group coaching program for women just like you that are committed to creating their future dream selves and actually making shit happen. Look, I know you are tired of buying into quick fixes that just don't work, only to regret it and hate yourself even more after. I know you're burnt out from putting everyone else before yourself in an attempt to feel worthy. I know you're fed up of sabotaging your happiness because you don't feel good enough. And I know you're tired of doing this on your own and frustrated that you're not where you dream of being. What you really need is a mindset shift, deep dive support and actionable tools to transform the path of your life. And that's where the Future You Academy comes in. The Future You Academy is a three-month, value-packed, action-driven group coaching program where you will learn the tools you need to start saying yes to yourself and become the confident, badass version of you that you dream of being. The students inside the academy are ready to understand where they are right now in comparison to where they want to be because self-awareness is key. They are ready to learn what specifically they need to do to reach that dream version of themselves and they are ready to implement the tools they learn to help them level up in all areas of life. Are you ready to join them? If you are looking for unavoidable accountability, a deep level of understanding, empathy and fun, plus a supportive community feel, then the Future You Academy is for you. I cannot wait to hold this space for 10 incredible women in the new year and I know one of those spaces is for you. To learn more or to secure your space, head to the link in the show notes or send me an email at georgia at gljfit.co.uk and treat yourself to real change next year because you deserve it. Now, let's get back to the episode. That is mind-blowing. That's like, that's so true. I've never really thought about it like that, but that is so true. I know. Like, I guess. We should do after this. Those, like, sorry? We should know this. Like, this should be, we should be told about this. We should be taught about this in school, 100%. And like, I'm, someone's, I'm someone that's done a lot of kind of like work in this and just still that kind of thought then. I was like, oh yeah, that's so true. That is so true because we kind of put these big expectations on ourselves. I think especially if you've already done some of the work, you have this expectation like, well, I shouldn't react like that because I know better. Mm -hmm. You might know better, but you're still human. Yeah. And you're you're so right, Georgia. And I think one of the myths that I I also want to kind of call out is that, you know, I I have been in training now for seven years as, as a psychotherapist. I'll be brutally honest. Part of me did go into this thinking, I could cure myself from the, from feeling crappy human feelings, right? Like if I know all the tricks of the trade, maybe I won't struggle. And actually, even though I, I kind of know it all and I have all the, the intellectual stuff in my head, even though I know that stuff, it doesn't ever prevent me from feeling feelings. Like it's, I'm still human. 
coaches are human therapists are human like we are all human even if we have done a lot of self-work it doesn't mean to say that we won't feel it we just might actually recover a bit quicker and have more choice mm. than what we do after that's so true that's so true because you then have the tools to know okay you recognize it obviously you've got that sense of awareness okay this is what I'm feeling that's totally fine that's totally human I'm going to allow that but then I'm going to do these things that I know are going to help me recover better and quicker absolutely amazing and I love that you said about meditation there as well because for me that has been something that has been so so important for like I used to be a very angry person no one believes me when I say this but I used to be like so like oh my god Charlotte I would throw like proper tantrums like this is as a grown-ass human a grown like you're in a adult, <laughs> yeah literally in a childhood I would throw things I would scream I'd be on the floor like oh my god it was horrific and like obviously now I understand you know there's like there was inner child wounds there to do with for me it was that I wasn't being heard because I had the limiting belief that I don't matter I'm not important so it all kind of like connecting the dots backwards makes sense for me but for me, meditation was something that was so powerful in helping me. I, the word that's coming to mind is dissolve that anger. Because obviously I still get angry now, of course. But it helped me process and dissolve that kind of lingering anger that I was still holding on to. And also created this, you know, this patience, which, you know, you really, um, you said really well about the idea of just being able to, feel frustration frustration for you know a bit of a prolonged time yeah so for me meditation was so so like important in my journey with that with anger and being more patient and creating this awareness as well and for me yeah like you said building that emotional fluency and allowing myself to be in that feeling of anger or grief or whatever it is allowing myself to be there completely and I think the What's also from from a kind of a <clears throat> from a neuroscience perspective, you know, more meditation obviously it kind of lights up different parts of the brain and helps the brain integrate kind of left brain and right brain and and integrate feeling ultimately. But there's also just just on a really basic level, it sounds like what meditation helped you to do was to self regulate. Yeah. Rather than your 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 anger as that example completely hijacking your awareness like at the point you you were angry Georgia who knows she's angry isn't there Georgia's just anger like it's like the Hulk yeah, literally yeah exactly <laughs> we're, we're hijacked by it and we we don't know how to get out until normally something sort of snaps us out or we're so exhausted or or there's some sort of consequence that then wakes us back up and we think shit what have we done but the by actually connecting to yourself, being able to go, oh, feelings are fluid, like they pass like clouds in the sky or whatever Headspace says. So mm. like we can we can watch them go, I am the observer of my anger rather than I am anger. I have this feeling of anger rather than I am anger, which then allows you a bit more choice of, okay, how do I want to respond to this? And it might just be that you, we just carry on breathing and remind our body you can breathe, therefore you're alive, therefore you don't need to descend into fight or flight. Mm. And it's super yeah. grounding, like being in your body, learning to self-regulate is such a gift, is such a gift. I think it's truly one of the most important skills 
because think how many times we get triggered left, right and centre by different things. Sometimes we don't even know what it is and we don't have to. But if we can go, oh, OK, yeah, I can feel I can feel something here. I'm really anxious. I don't really know why. There's something about this person, maybe. I don't understand it yet, but I know how to calm my nervous system down. And if I breathe, I get oxygen into my body and then my body naturally kind of calms down. It doesn't release adrenaline or cortisol because it knows that it's got air. And when we've got oxygen, we feel safe. You know, those are all the things that's going on underneath. And we're just breathing. I say just, but, but we're breathing. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you said about this idea of like, self-regulation I know you mentioned about breathing which is you know transformative and you know meditation is there anything else that you'd recommend to kind of support this you know idea of regulating ourselves and our nervous system yeah there's a meditation is great um grounding exercises so even things like um what we want to do is when, when we're feeling quite triggered or, or um emotionally energized it's it's the reptilian brain it's the back part of our brain that's that's fired up that's that's primarily um focused upon our survival and this is when we we react in very impulsive ways um and what we want to do is we want to get the front brain the neocortex um to come back online and that's the logical rational part of our brain so things like um counting things like name five things in the room and you do this to yourself i mean feel free to do it out loud but Name five things to yourself of the colour green. And when we look mm. around and when we're looking around and getting our brain to identify these things, we're using the part of our brain that's able to to self-regulate and to think logically. So there's little tips like that that are quite helpful. Equally, practices, um, exercise is a great one because it gets us back in our body. Um, yoga is also a great one because it sort of integrates the mind-body practice. Um, but really I mean, there's so many different things. Um, breath work is also fantastic. But, you know, it's there's so many resources out there, especially things like on YouTube and with tapping. And you know, we, we can all do some of the self-work just through these very basic practices. It may not be the deep supported work that we need to do with maybe our wounding, but there is definitely practices that we can learn for, for just self-regulation. Oh, I love those things so much. Thank you so much for sharing those. So I see you on your Instagram talk a lot about this idea of wounds to wisdom. And I'm literally obsessed with that phrase because it's something that I've personally experienced a lot in my life. Like we were saying earlier, taking this kind of inner child wound and then like it turning into people pleasing and then taking kind of the wisdom from that and applying it to my life moving forwards. So I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit more about what does that actually mean, wounds to wisdom? Yeah, so I think I actually took this phrase from Oprah. <laughs> so I can't claim for it to be mine. <laughs> um, but I, I think I saw it on like a Super Soul Sunday or something that I was watching years ago. And it really, it really stuck with me because I think there's, there is so much to be learnt from our wounding. Um, and only when we become kind of conscious of it, can we transform it into the wisdom where... We, we kind of take the the growth from it and then transform it into something that's that's gonna support our journey moving forward and how we want to be so the example of you know the, the people pleasing is a great example that you brought to the table of 
when you weren't aware that that was a thing, you just unconsciously enacted from that default. And you and you, you really kindly shared where that default kind of come from. You have a sense that it links to when you were younger and wanting to be the good girl and just kind of wanting to be loved. And if we if we kind of appease everybody, then we don't cause issues. So then hopefully we'll be loved and things will be kept safe. If you don't have the conscious awareness and that wound remains open and kind of unresolved, we live from that place and we kind of go looking. We may gravitate towards people that we then end up falling into people-pleasing dynamics um, with. So we may see sort of these repeated patterns where we, we kind of end up either in the same kind of relationships where the same shit keeps happening or friendships where we just keep saying yes but we we don't feel like it's mutual and we we're petulantly really annoyed about it but we never say anything about it and that just it's like we we're hijacked by that default when we when we shine a light on it and when we make that conscious conscious being okay so we're now aware of it and we understand how it impact, impacted us. We kind of have a sense of where it came from. Just through that awareness, all of a sudden, we have the opportunity for choice. So because when, you know, when we're not aware, we can't change anything. When we are aware, it opens up the potential for change. So you may know that in certain situations, you, you might think, oh, yeah, no, that's something that I could fall into the people pleasing with so holding that in consciousness I might choose to say no because now I know I have a choice and that I don't need to be the good girl for such and such because I know that it's not my inner child who's now kind of leading the show equally sometimes I mean granted it would be wonderful if we could go from straight of understanding our wounds to then kind of being conscious and doing everything differently some sometime in fact most of the time we come into um we come into a situation we may still default to the people pleasing but we may catch ourselves afterwards or when we're in it and so long as we catch ourselves then it's like okay well now I I do have a choice again as to how I handle this and when when we talk really about consciousness and I'm, I'm going for the third round of existentialism now, <laughs> but it's, we're talking about who are you most essentially? Like who, who is authentic Georgia? Underneath all the conditioning, who, who are you most essentially? And I think that, that when we're conscious, it's that we're connected to our authentic self, as opposed to when we're unconscious, we're connected to our conditioned self. And conditioned usually comes from a place of wounding so when we come from a place of wisdom it's it's not that the wounding never happened but it's that what what can we learn from that pain what can we do differently now and how can I stay within the integrity of my authentic self rather than actually self-betraying by people pleasing somebody else so every time we say yes to somebody else but we don't mean it we're saying no to ourselves. we're saying no to how we feel or how, you know, what we believe in. Equally, when you're saying no to somebody else, it's because you're saying yes to yourself. And I think, you know, that thing about behind every no is a yes and behind every yes is a no really can help also with just understanding the boundaries of of what it means to be conscious, that it's, it's being self-aware 
first and foremost, it's being self-aware and understanding that so much of how we may think or feel is, is governed by these invisible forces that relate to our history rather than actually who we are. And it's, it's unravelling all the wounding to get to the wisdom of who we are. Oh, I love that. That was such an incredible answer. I love that so, so much. And I love what you said about, you know, people pleasing. And for me, something that massively helped me like recover from people pleasing was setting boundaries in place. And like you were saying about, you know, when you're saying yes to things that you don't want to do, you're actually saying no to yourself and vice versa. So for me, that was so, so empowering because to begin with, I was obviously like feeling so guilty. I was feeling so bad. I was feeling so uncomfortable, like saying no to people. Cause I was like, oh my God, they're going to hate me. They're going to leave me. I'm going to be alone because that was all these old stories coming in. And this idea of I'm not, I'm not appeasing them. So they're not going to like me. They're not going to be, you know, happy with me to actually, I deserve like my own time and energy as well. So the boundaries for me were so crucial for overcoming like my people pleasing personally. Yeah. And that's exactly it. It's the, um, you, you now are aware of that. That's what that's about and that you can put things in place to kind of rewire those beliefs to, for you to choose, okay, what are my boundaries as opposed to what are the things that I had to do in order to try and get the love that I needed? Exactly. Exactly. And I think like you said in there as well, self-awareness is like key like you cannot do any of this work any of this stuff that we're talking about today you cannot do any any of it without first this you know this sense of self-awareness if you are not aware of something you cannot change it if you don't know that you know you have this belief or if you don't know that the reason you act this way or you know have this habit or is because of a limiting belief or a narrative or you know trauma from your past then how are you going to overcome that? How are you going to manage that? How are you going to, you know, tune into that and process it? There's no way that you would be able to do that without that awareness. Yeah, yeah. I, it, literally, word for word, exactly what you've said. It's, it's, it is the, the grassroot, um, the grassroot kind of personal growth that we need to establish before anything else can then really take place. Absolutely. I would love for you to if you don't mind, what is, I mean, I'm sure there's loads of ways, but for the people that are listening, what is, if they're thinking like, oh, I don't really, self-awareness, how do I get that? What is one thing that they could do to build their self-awareness? So <clears throat> one of the things that um, I talk about with my clients, and again, I can't remember where I got this from. I think it was another therapist that I remembered saying it. But quite often, um, so you're talking about your your anger when you have like, you could recognize you were having like these temp, like temper tantrums, like you could see there was an element of the dynamic which we call hysterical historical. So if what's happening right now in the present seems hysterical against the context of the reality, something historical is being triggered. Mm. And I think that's a really good little mantra of, you know, if, um, if, for example, um, I don't know, you've gone into a work meeting, and somebody's been a bit off with you, and all of a sudden, you feel disproportionately anxious, or like, 
have I said anything? Have I upset them? Is it about the email I said? And all of a sudden, it's like we we're escalating into a, a whole other narrative that's going down the catastrophe route. And there's also has this really hysterical kind of like, hang on a second, all they did was, you know, I don't know, ask, ask to pass the cup, but didn't ask you how your weekend was, for example. Yeah, then we can then we know, maybe something historical is, is coming up. And rather than think of a memory, sort of straight off, like, oh, well, you know, I but this person hasn't, you know, upset me before, so I can't really trace it back to anything. Actually, just follow the feeling. And normally, if you follow the feeling of when have I felt like this in my life, it will take you, if, you know, with enough kind of um, curiosity, it will take you normally to the root of it. So journaling is great for this. Um, journaling is, is part of the self-reflective tools that I encourage all my clients um, to do and that I do myself because there is a natural kind of processing of of our internal world down on paper to make it more concrete. And there's something very cathartic about self-validating what it is we're experiencing by writing it out, making it, making it manifest. And so there's sometimes, you know, towards, if there's something that's come up in the day, you know, we don't always have time to kind of stop a work meeting, be like, sorry, something hysterical, historical is coming up for me right now. <laughs> <I love laughs> it. it doesn't really work like that. But actually, if you can take take a snapshot and go, okay, I I flagged it. Thank you. I can see that. That's, you know, I acknowledge there's something in this. Um, take a snapshot in your mind, put it down. And then later, when you have some time and it is safe, journal it out of where, where, what does this remind me of? I think being curious is the best thing because curiosity doesn't assume that we know the answer. There's an explorative kind of, part of it and that by just exploring the like where have I felt like that before oh yeah my my dad used to cut me off halfway through my sentences when I was a kid so I always felt dismissed ah right okay so that person okay like the person at work isn't my dad but in that moment my inner child reacted as if this was that's yeah that's so just the awareness around that is just so amazing and so so true and I think that just brings us around so nicely back to what we talked about at the beginning the inner child and the inner wounds and just shows how important it is and how like these wounds that we have and these limiting beliefs can affect our everyday lives so much without us even knowing just like even the tiniest things like for me something that was so tiny and so stupid but I now understand why is you know if you're driving and you like let someone out in front of you from a junction or whatever if they didn't say thank you, oh my God, I'd go off. I would go off. But now I realize it's because I wasn't getting that um, recognition. They weren't seeing me, you know, and that led back into all of my limiting beliefs. So it can really affect your everyday life so, so much unless you build this awareness to then kind of like recognize it, I guess. I, absolutely. Like you've that's such a great example of something that, completely perplexes us right it's like or you know road rage or all all these different things that kind of happen and can really like you know, wholeheartedly ruin our day because there's there's a hysterical thing and a historical thing attached to it like it's so important for us as human beings to feel seen and if we don't feel seen even if it is someone putting out and not saying thank you 
that that maybe you've grown up where also it's been drummed into you you say thank you you know it's 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 rude if you don't all of a sudden we've projected well this person's an asshole yeah and and actually this person might have had a completely different upbringing (laughs) might have never had to say thank you in the driving test as part of the kind of courtesy part they might be going through all sorts of things in their life they might be a really anxious driver and they just need to pull out because they can't think about saying thank you taking a hand off the wheel there are so many things that could be going on for that person and we have just projected that person's this that and the other based upon our wounding and that actually really nicely leads me on to my next question which is about this idea of projection and like what does that mean how does that kind of relate to our self-worth all of those kind of things. Yeah, projection is another thing that um, <clears throat> it happens all the time, every day. <laughs> and that even when we're conscious of it, we still do it. But it, it's being aware of it can be a really powerful thing. So projection is essentially when um, there is maybe an aspect of yourself or an aspect of a struggle or a feeling or something that you're feeling that... Um, it's okay. I'll use my hot potato analogy because <laughs> this is the way I usually break it down for clients. So think of feelings or uncomfortable things like hot potatoes. So we've got this, this hot potato and um, we don't know how to hold it or how to kind of digest it. So we're holding it in our hands. I've got my hands open in front of me. <laughs> Again. Yeah. Look, so I've got this hot potato and I'm kind of like balancing it between my hands and maybe, um, here we go. So, so we'll use your, your driving example. So someone saying, not saying thank you makes you feel frustrated, angry, not seen. And so you've got these feelings that feel too hot to hold. So what we do is we lob them at somebody else. So in this sort of invisible metaphorical world, you lob them and you get really angry at that person, that person, mm-hmm. asshole, because we've got something about in ourselves that's uncomfortable that we project on somebody else. And sometimes I think hot potatoes might also be when someone projects the responsibility of their feelings onto you. Or um, it might be, you know, when people kind of maybe kind of make comments about certain things or um, that just, just little backhanded comments that you're kind of like, ow, like, yeah. yeah where did that come from and it's something that's going on for them that gets lobbed your way now usually um if we're not aware of projections we either just lob them out to everybody else and the world is against us and everybody's an asshole and um, we project all of that stuff that wounding we project it out onto the world and other people or we just become this kind of empath sponge where we we take on other people's projections so Mm. if somebody um i don't know we're in the supermarket and someone's bumps into us and then has a go at us if if maybe if we were uh, in the people pleasing camp or if we um sort of super um shame prone we may that we may then feel awful about ourselves for something that isn't really ours so as much as there are hot potato throwers we also can be hot potato holders where we end up holding somebody else's hot potato thinking it's ours because we feel it 
but it's because we don't know how to put it down or to say that's not actually me so say for example you grew up as a child and um you grew up in a dynamic where um one particular caregiver was quite emotionally codependent so um they projected quite a lot of, no well actually no let me introduce this example because i think this would be more relevant we've done a lot of it in a child let's bring it more to modern day so, so as an adult you're in a, an adult relationship you have a bit of a people-pleasing tendency and there's there's some codependent type attachments there you struggle a bit with abandonment or separation anxiety and um your partner says oh i'm gonna go out um i'm gonna go out with some friends for a drink tonight um is that okay and immediately it brings up in you that the old wounding of feeling abandoned and we might say well that'd yeah, be okay you know if if you want to um i'm just i haven't really got anything to do so i'll just be here there isn't really anything on tv i want to watch so i think i'm just gonna sit here to be honest just yeah it'd probably be good for me to spend some time by myself anyway we're saying these things but actually there's an element of we're putting on that other person a feeling of responsibility for ourselves mm. there's like the underlying guilt and it's an attempt you know for, for the person who's saying it's an attempt to keep themselves safe that's the wounding talking that's actually i feel abandoned but if we don't know if we can't recognize that and go Okay, I know that come where that comes from in history. I know that my partner isn't responsible for entertaining me all evening long. My partner's choosing to go and see their friends, but that doesn't mean that they're separating from me, they're leaving me, that, you know, it's okay for them to have autonomous friendships. We don't have to do everything together. You know, it takes a lot of work, right, to, to do the self-regulation and to go, actually, I'm okay to be by myself tonight. Have a good time. Yeah, And I think the projection, on one end, there's the projection to the other person of abandonment. So the other person then might feel like, oh, oh now I feel really guilty. Oh, now actually I feel really crap. I'll just stay in, don't worry. And now that, mm. that person then feels guilty, but underneath may be resentful. And actually it's that person's now become the hot potato holder. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. I'm bloody loving this hot potato analogy. It's a really, it's a really, because the thing is, is sometimes if people can lob a potato. It doesn't mean we have to hold it. We can dodge it. We don't have to catch the potato. We, or we can catch it. Sometimes we catch it and that's when we realise we've got it. So we catch it and we're like, eesh, God, this is hot. This hurts. And I know it's not mine. So I'm going to put it down. Equally, yeah. one of the most powerful things in relationships is if you've chucked a potato to go back over to the person and say, hey, mate, you're in, you can use this language. I use this language because it helps, it helps me to feel safe and being able to talk about it. So if I've projected something, I genuinely do go up to my partner and I say in these very therapeutic terms, hey, I totally realise I lobbed you a hot potato there and you got like eight-year-old Charlotte who was freaking out about something and actually I realised that that's what you were saying wasn't actually what was happening. So just to let you know, I'm really sorry. I lobbed it at you. I recognise it. I'm taking it back. Oh my God. I love that so, so much. Sorry, I threw my hot potato at you there. I'm going to, I love, I love that. I'm going to use that. sensible way to find the language that's ultimately excruciatingly vulnerable where we go, ah, oh, 
oh god I screwed up I'm sorry but it, it mm. enables us a language because otherwise we fumble around with words that actually most of the time we weren't ever taught it wasn't usually you know unfortunately in some cases wasn't modeled to us so unless we practice it and we find a way and a, and a language to practice it it's it's really really tough so you know I absolutely I practice that language in the same way where if I knew I've upset somebody or I've behaved in a way that's out of alignment with with my authentic self with who I truly am and I've been defensive in a particular way I I think about what I need to say I absolutely rehearse it I rehearse what I want to say because expecting me to be able to reel off this kind of Oscar worthy apology while the <laughs> body is like ah this feels awful I'm melting in shame like at least give my brain a, a bit of a break to be able to go okay well you kind of know what it is you want to say so you let's just focus on delivering it authentically yes your voice may shake but make sure we say the words rather than my people pleasing tendencies may jump in and I might backtrack or just go oh I'm so sorry I'm so sorry for everything it's totally my fault well maybe it wasn't all my fault and I could say hey look I behaved like this because when you said this is this is what you said but this is how, what I heard and I'm, and I'm not taking responsibility of you know all of it I recognize my part and I need to let you know that this hurt my feelings that is so so powerful Charlotte thank you so much for coming on I could just continue talking to you for hours this is so incredibly valuable incredibly insightful and I know everyone listening is just going to be as mind blown as I am so thank you so so much for coming on I would love for you to tell us where we can find you how we can connect with you yeah so I mean first of all thank you for inviting me on I found I found it so cathartic it's lovely it's like it's like having a therapy session without the deep dive work so no, it's it's really great and it's really validating as well so no thank you it's been it's been really really um really energizing and really I think it still amazes me how you can continue to have these light bulb moments even if it's the same light bulb um yeah it's it's really about self-accountability and, and talking about this stuff and, and keeping it on the agenda really helps to hold me accountable too as as the work that I'm doing as a human being so yeah I'd love I'd love to people to connect um so I'm mostly present on um Instagram um my handle is be conscious with Charlotte so be underscore conscious underscore with underscore Charlotte um and my name is Charlotte Braithwaite I'm also on LinkedIn I'm on Facebook um but the yeah that's sort of the main way I enjoy kind of Instagram the most I think it's a great psychoeducation platform so that's where I'm most active um and by all means I think it's it's so great to create sort of these conversations because they really do they have a, a huge ripple effect and this is absolutely the change that we need to see in the world is by elevating our consciousness it's not really by changing anything external we have we have pretty much everything we need in the world right now to eradicate so many of the problems the problem is consciousness it's the level of consciousness that people are operating and that we're going out into the world with all these unconscious unresolved wounds and just hot potatoing each other and actually if we all took responsibility of our hot potatoes it would be such so much a better world i i love that so so much what a nice way to sum up this episode 
take responsibility for your own hot potato. (laughs) Thank you so, so much. I will put all of those details in the show notes for anyone listening so you can go and connect with Charlotte. Please do go and check her out and give her a follow on Instagram because she posts so much valuable content on there and for more kind of conversations like the one that we have had today. Thank you so, so much for coming on, Charlotte. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I will speak to you soon. Great. Take care, Georgia.